The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bengals are in the win column. They get the big W against the Jets in pretty commanding fashion this week. Cincinnati gets to one and two. They have a big one coming up here. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you live at a special time. If you usually join us Wednesday nights, we're a little bit earlier. Oh, schedule, 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 John Sheeran. And these Thursday nighters, they do us no favors. I know they're fun. I know it's a primetime game. It's a big game. But for fellas like you and me, oh, man, this is a little bit of a condensed and crammed week. But how you doing, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Yeah, forget about the players who just, I guess some of them played 90 snaps in ah, the weather on Miami. How about, how about us, man? We're, we're writing <laughs> articles per day. We're doing other stuff on top of that. We got bags under our eyes. But hey, a victory Wednesday is a victory Wednesday. <laughs> Uh, bruises, scrapes, dings, that means nothing. It's it's cramped and, and tired eyeballs. That's the real pain of the week. But no, <laughs> good to be with all of you and good to be with you, John, talking some Cincinnati Bengals again. We get to finally talk about a win for the first time since before the Super Bowl. The Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals get a win. So it's been a little while since we've been talking about a victory. And then, of course, they've got a big one coming up against the Miami Dolphins, who are a somewhat surprising 3-0. I think a lot of people thought they would be very improved, but I don't know if they thought maybe 3-0 and and beating the Bills uh, that that far improved, John. Um, I don't know. We'll, We'll talk more about the Dolphins, but... Your take about this matchup. A very special week in Cincinnati, by the way, um, coming up here as the Bengals host the Dolphins. It's kind of crazy, man. We talked a couple weeks ago about, or I guess last week, about how the first two weeks kind of mirrored last season with a tight week one win, a very sluggish week two loss, and then now they had to get right game in week three on the road. Then they come back home Thursday night week four with a Ring of Honor game, two guys going into the Ring of Honor against the team from Florida, of all states, to town on Thursday night. It's the same exact script as 2021, only it featured one more loss compared to a win. But yeah, the Bengals, I think, still maybe a field goal favorite just because they're the home team. But 
they're the team that's one and two and they're facing a team that hasn't lost this season. And you talked about the Dolphins being improved, you know, listening to some of the previews stuff with the Dolphins before the season, this was supposed to be like their tough part of the schedule. And then after this, they had a bunch of other games against, you know, weaker opponents, at least weaker entering the season. And that's when they were supposed to reel off some of these wins, but they're out of the gate three and no with, without a blemish on their record. Now, be it, they haven't all been, you know, convincing wins, but a win against the Buffalo Bills, regardless of the weather advantages of playing in South Florida, is a win against the Bills, and the Bills are arguably still the best team in football right now. It's still very early, but you know the, the Dolphins deserve to have all the confidence in the world after this 3-0 start. Well, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk about Tua. We'll talk about comments. We're going to talk about the Jets' win. We're going to do a little kind of a, a an evolution, state your case, where we're going to start about with some storylines coming out of this last week and then start segueing into the Dolphins game, and then we'll talk about matchups, keys, maybe predictions, all that good stuff. Again, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show and the other great ones. By the way, if you had not had a chance yet, go check out what Bengal Jim and the guys did uh, last night. Awesome show at Holy Grail Live. A lot of people were in, in attendance, and then, of course, they had Shane Graham was there, Dave Lapham was there, uh, Paul Alexander was there, Willie Anderson, Isaac Curtis, a um, lot of people there um, that that just really, really cool. That'll be up on our Cincy Jungle podcast channel as well as their YouTube channel and on Cincy Jungle. So please, please, please go check that out. Really, really cool. Kind of a, a good kickoff to the week coming up with the Ring of Honor stuff. But they are part of the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, as is the coach, Matt Minnick. And you can get all of our shows on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts iHeartRadio, all of the major ones, we are there. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. By the way, John, we are going to start. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start doing YouTube memberships uh, for our for our channel. Yeah, with some special perks, special prizes, all that kind of stuff. So we'll be un- un- unveiling that as well. If you want to be a YouTube super subscriber, I guess uh, you could do that and be a member as well as a subscriber. But uh, we've got that. You can go on the YouTube channel to get get all that stuff. And then of course, everything that you need is on Cincy jungle and it's great Facebook page. Go like that. Check out cincyjungle.com, All of that. Okay. Shameless self-promotions aside. Let's talk about the Bengals first win of the year. The first one since the AFC championship game, you know, John part of me and then I, I will, I guess we can talk a little bit more about this with the state, your case. Part of me was very impressed with this win, but part of me also thought there were missed opportunities. How good are the jets? And then you look back to the two teams they've lost to already this year and you go, hmm, I don't know. Still, I feel like this was I, – I didn't want to call it a get-right game because the Jets, you know, were coming off a pretty good win the week prior and they're they're an ascending team, I suppose, in a lot of ways. But uh, I, I kind of felt like, hey, let, let's just get a win type of week instead of a get-right game. But it, it seemed like a bit of a get-right game, even though it still wasn't perfect. And that's all the team – frankly cares about like that's all they're always going to care about just making sure that they're in the win column to not far fall too far behind in the AFC North race but I, I think a, a get right game in this sense would be to get to the expectations that this team had set for this season and those expectations were building upon last year to be an improved more consistent all-around team in 2022 to me Anthony like the Jets game was a symbol of this team getting back to 2021 and just mm. basically who they were last year. Because in this game, you had explosive plays, you had plenty of sacks, you had Trey Hendrickson taking over a game, 
You had long passes to T. Higgins. You had Tyler Boyd getting an explosive play. You had deep shots to Jamar Chase, even though they didn't work out. You saw shades of what made the Bengals the explosive offense that they were last year combined with continued inconsistencies with the ground game, combined with a stingy defense that just took advantage of a struggling offense and a quarterback that they typically dominate against. It was it looked like the 2021 Bengals out there, and that's good and a bad thing because the 2021 Bengals in the regular season were barely good enough to get into the playoffs, right? They were up and down. They were inconsistent. They turned it on the playoffs, but ultimately they were a pretty middle-of-the-road team, all things considered. And in this game, when you're going up against a quarterback that looked completely just flussed out there, albeit against the great Bengals defensive line that showed up to play, like those that's how these 15-point wins happen, even when you're inconsistent. Joe Burrow, I think, had the seventh highest EPA per dropback this week with a 22nd ranked success rate. So that means explosive plays really boost that EPA per play. But overall, you had a bunch of drives after the second quarter, after the midway through the second quarter, when the Jets started doing different things defensively in coverage. You had a bunch of three and outs. You had a bunch of stalled drives. You only had the one touchdown in the second half because the defense gave them the ball basically inside the Jets' red zone. And other than that, you had one long uh, drive that was stalled out from a pretty bad fourth and one uh, play call by Zach Taylor. And then you had the last drive of the game where Samaji Piran just basically gassed out the Jets' uh, defensive yeah. front, even though they knew they were going to run the ball. Other than that, the Bengals' offense looked this like the same struggling unit that didn't really know how to move the ball down the field against defenses that kind of parked the bus with their safeties. So the Jets did them a huge favor by playing the defense that they're comfortable with, which is just single high, and that's where those deep shots were able to come from. And they, and granted to them, they took advantage of that. They had a great opening script, and they made sure that they took the points that they were able to get when the Jets gave them opportunities. But in terms of them realizing who they are this year as a, as a more improved team, I haven't quite seen that yet. Boy, Flacco, uh, he really looked – Remember, if you remember Flacco with Ray Rice and all the checkdowns, I mean, it would be the occasional mm-hmm. deep shot and check down, check down, check down. There was a lot of that this week, a lot of it, and I think some of that had to do with the pressure, but a lot of it just that's kind of who he is, has been, and everything. So there was a lot of that. It just reminded me a lot of the the old connection between he and Ray Rice this last week. And, you know, I, I liked – every once in a while, you and I seem like really smart guys, and I love <laughs> it. And last week we talked about Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd. Get Tyler Boyd the ball. Get him the ball early. Get him it often. Get get the ball out fast and get in a rhythm. And boy, did they do that. Boy, did he respond. And then, of course, you know, the Bengals win a two-possession game, John, with Jamar Chase really not playing all that well, in my opinion. He he mistracked that ball on that trick play, the, the throwback from Mixon that, that Burrow. I, I felt like that was maybe a catchable ball. Uh, he had the fumble early. He made some plays late, no doubt. Definitely not his best game, and that speaks not only to the where the Bengals were that day, but you know being able to not put your best foot forward from your one of your best players and still uh, be able to to win a game handily on the road against a team who just had a very nice win the week prior. I don't know that. I guess all things considered, and even though there were still some issues, that impressed me a bunch. You know, you take away one of your best you know, kind of a Belichick type of deal, take away your best weapon. You're still able to win and win pretty convincingly. Yeah. And the jets, they rightfully have confidence that their new number one cornerback sauce Gardner can do that to the opposing team's number one receiver. And 
it was pretty nice watching Sauce, you know, r- run up against Jamar yeah. Chase and some of those. Like he played that deep ball pretty perfectly. I think Zach Taylor was reportedly kind of mad that uh, he wasn't called for holding or something like that, but it, it looked pretty clean. It looked like he just played the ball. Yeah, so Chase had what like six catches for about thirty yards. So unfortunately, there was unfortunately for the Jets, there was some miscommunication in the end zone on the second play where the Jets inexplicably zero burrow, and of course. The second time they do that, the second touchdown they allowed. It was a third and long earlier in the game. That's how Tyler Boyd ran free over the middle. And, man, it looked like he took a shot to the head right after he caught that. And then he ran 50 or whatever yards. I'm assuming he was just seeing stars the entire way. So credit to him for actually finishing that after taking that hard blow. But we were right on the money, man. Like, if the Jets were going to play this aggressive defense where they were going to leave their cornerbacks on an island or in man coverage, Boyd was going to be able to find vacancies over the middle and he had his best game of the season and I guess I, I forgot about this last year apparently um like Boyd almost had a touchdown against the Jets on like a long play and he was stopped pretty short and that was some points left up on the board and he kind of got his revenge in this game so T Higgins versus DJ Reed was another great matchup DJ Reed is playing like a phenomenal quarterback this season and Higgins took you know had a really good game against him he got, got separation deep a couple of times he should have had that touched down the end zone. Unfortunately, the heel rule kind of got into, got into play there, but he separated on a deep pass. I think Burrow's longest uh, completion of the season to him on, again, a single high look from the Jets. So, yeah, great games from both Higgins and Boyd to really take the pressure off of Chase. And Andrew Golden of the Believe Network, who joined us last week to help preview the game, told us they were not going to do a lot of two safety looks. That's not the Sala concept. That's not Sala being from Carroll. They were going to do a lot of stuff where they were going to try and lock you down with man coverage by their big physical corners on the boundary, do a lot of one safety stuff. And and that's, that's what we saw. And obviously that plays into a little bit of the success this week. Um, you know, one of the, the things that was also a pleasant, I don't want to call it a surprise, but, a, you know, a good thing to see that wasn't really there the first two weeks and a big factor to the win was Trey Hendrickson. Trey Hendrickson got a left tackle benched in this game. Uh, he had two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, AFC defensive player of the week for his efforts. Really nice game from him. Uh, I don't know, John, if that was just, you know, a matchup or problem or, uh, you know, maybe he wasn't, I don't know. I don't know what the deal was between the first two weeks and this week, but this was this was a very, very good game from Trey Hendrickson, and, and he was a major key to their success. I thought it was a good game from the defense line as a whole, especially considering the fact that, you know, the best player, DJ Reader, went down early in the second quarter. You had uh-huh. BJ Hill kind of wearing multiple hats there, kind of playing more of a, on a heads-up nose alignment on some of their more heavier packages. But you're right, Hendrickson... He had a really good match of entering the game because George Fant wasn't a very good left tackle going into Sunday. And then (laughs) I I did hear he got benched, and then I heard another report that said he got injured. So maybe it was a combination of both. Like, he was playing with injury, and he wasn't playing well, so there's no reason to risk him getting re-injured. But then he had, I guess, a third-string left tackle going up against, and he just did not look serious at all. So Hendrickson did Hendrickson things and just won off the edge. But you also had Joseph Asai kind of getting unleashed for the first time in his career. He played like 19 combined snaps in the first two weeks. He was out there for 40 snaps in this week. You saw him going up against guards a handful of times, but he was mainly on the edge, kind of um, rotating in for Hendrickson off that right side. And you saw some good signs from him too. And that's so, so important because Hendrickson is not always going to have 
two and a half sacks and two strip sacks every single game. Like he's now back up to his normal pace of a sack per game, but there are going to be other times when he's a little bit gassed or he's got a really good matchup at left tackle and you need a guy in a side to come off the bench and give you, you know, 30, 40 quality snaps as a pass rusher. And we saw the first signs of him starting to do that. Obviously defensive tackle depth is a concern without DJ reader. And I guess we can talk more about that later, but overall against a just offensive line that is kind of struggling right now, they did what they had to do. Well, the Bengals get in. We're, we're going to get a, a little bit into a state your case and other elements with with some things here. But um, overall, John, I mean, did you did you feel like this was you know a, a pretty good output from the Cincinnati Bengals? Did you think they left more out there, you know, more opportunities for points and really, really getting the game out of control out there? Had they played? even better um, to me, it, it was a far from perfect game, but it was a lot better than we've seen the first couple of weeks. Uh, I, I don't know, particularly on the offensive line. I mean, where, where, where are you at in terms of, you know, they, they are vastly, they, you know, they're starting to get it or they're not starting, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time getting my hands around this team, you know, I, I guess after three games, given what we saw the first two weeks and then you had a decent win here. I, I, just kind of having a hard time wrapping my arms around them and, and getting a grasp on what this team's about. Well, they definitely left points on the board. Like they had two field goals in this game. Both of them, I think came within the 25 yard line. One was like within the 10 yard line that that should have been a touchdown. They had the rare zero yard scoring drive because they got uh, the, the interception from Logan Wilson, who then fumbled into Trey flowers, arms. And then they went zero yards and just had McPherson kick like a 40 yarder. So that was around the time when the offense was getting stifled by similar looks. And the Jets finally woke up and said, hey, why don't we just go into quarters and cover four like we're kind of comfortable with with our current scheme and just make the Bengals beat us against coverages that they haven't beat us or beat anyone before. So the Jets adapted too late, but they did stifle the Bengals offense for most if yeah, for most of the game, pretty much, pretty much the entire second half outside of that short touchdown drive that was gifted the, to them by turnover. So there's still a ton of room for this team uh, as a whole to grow. Like the defense, I think is still firing on all cylinders and you have to adjust with the the quality of competition that they face. And they're going to have their toughest task of the year uh, tomorrow on a short week, which is definitely the main thing to watch for this week. But yeah, the defense is playing lights out and the defense has to at this point, because the offense I still think can't fully be trusted to go up against whatever defense that goes up against them. And that's still a little disappointing because you just had sky high expectations for this offense to take that next step. And maybe they're on their way to do that. Maybe Burrow really did need a couple of weeks to get reacclimated. Maybe the offense as a whole just needed these ramp up games to get into the rhythm of where they need to go. And this was maybe that first step of going. So, but they still have plenty more steps to take. A lot more steps to take. And I think that's going to be a, a good segue into our next section. Se- <laughs> our next segment, uh, which uh, is our, our usual state your case. We're going to take some elements from this game. We're going to take some storylines from the next one going into the next one here against the Miami Dolphins. We'll talk about that. But overall, you know, you got to be happy that the Bengals won one in convincing fashion and, and really 
you know, this was a game last year that was one of the most, in some ways there's extra satisfaction in this one because <laughs> this was a game last year yeah. that was just like, oh my God. You talked about Tyler Boyd leaving points on the board last, you know, last year's game. And then you had the Jesse Bates should have been pick six that wasn't. And, you know, there's a lot of points left on the board in that game. A lot of missed opportunities there. And even though there were a couple missed opportunities in this one, uh, you know, you felt you felt pretty good, and this game was largely in control towards the middle and end part of, of the game, and that's kind of what you wanted out of this one if, if you're rooting for the Bengals or if you are a Bengals player. Again, to their credit, if the Jets were going to do what they were going to do to the beginning of the game, the least that they could have done is take advantage of those opportunities. So, again, I think they're back to the baseline of where they should have been entering the season. We know that this team is still capable of things last year. Just about taking that next step. But when you play a team that's probably not going to finish with a lot of wins, you do still want to beat them by 15 points. That's what they did. They did. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, so let's get to with some other storylines and whatnot. Let's get to the state your case. Okay. Well, I'm trying to decide where to begin here. I guess let's talk about the running backs because the running game, we're seeing a lot of comments in the live chats and whatnot. The running game is not getting anywhere this year. And sometimes it's on Joe Mixon not getting, get, not seeing the right read potentially as you kind of re-review some of the film. Some of it is he's getting hit in the backfield as he is getting a handoff and others you know, other elements, just, you know, the occasional good defensive play and, other, you know, just all kinds of different things. Poor blocking in, in play. I mean, it's a myriad of factors. Yet at the end of the game, Samaje Piran comes in and one cut north-south and it wasn't the prettiest, but it was productive and it kind of sealed the game there. So, John, I want to know if you think, a couple of things, if you believe that this was just a byproduct of end of game Bengals draining the clock and P Ryan was against a gassed jets defense. Or if you think that he is potentially the better option in some respects, or at least deserves more carries to get some, some of that positive momentum in the run game, because he doesn't kind of, he's not the super patient guy behind the line. He sees the, sees the hole and goes North South. And that's, kind of what you want for this scheme i think and, and i said this on sunday we like grew really fond of what Le'Veon bell did with the steelers and how we were just like 
head over heels about this, this patience behind the line and just kind of almost completely stopping your feet to let blocks develop. And we failed to realize that that was emulatable with 99% of other offensive lines because not every offensive line is this impenetrable wall like the prime Steelers offensive line was. And it was like a perfect marriage. And so you inject Joe Mixon into the Bengals offense and he got compared to Bell a lot coming out of Oklahoma. And you saw signs of that early in his career, but as his career has progressed, his patience has dwindled, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but his overall vision is just not even remotely where it needs to be. And when you look at this game, I don't think the Jets defense was that gashed because again, they were getting off the field pretty frequently in the second half of of Sunday's game. And we talked a ton about the predictability of the Bengals run game and how that was plaguing them with Mixon. The Bengals were just in heavy personnel that entire drive. They had Akeem Adenji as an extra blocker. They had two tight ends. They were Mm -hmm. going, they they telegraphed every single play that they're going to run the ball and drain the clock. And Piran still got an automatic at the bare minimum two yards per carry. And then he had four, five, seven, nine yards on some of those carries. He averaged about five yards per carry on nine attempts where everyone in the stadium and in the country knew that they were going to run because Piran doesn't dance behind the line. And I, I, I get that's like that's just a lazy you know cliche that we say, but there's no wasted movement with what with when he's reading his gaps and when he's reading the scheme in front of him. He he puts his plants his foot in the ground and he cuts up field and he's got the balance to just work off of his blocks. There were many examples in this game where Mixon, he had holes and he had opportunities in front of him. And for whatever reason, he just didn't see them. And he was trying either too quick or again, his legs were moving too fast for his mind to calculate. There's a clear difference in the way that he's reading his blocks and the way P Ryan's reading his blocks. And it's almost like P Ryan's just a better fit for what the bank for the base Bengals run game and what they were trying to do. Now, granted, the Bengals were trying to diversify the run game a little bit more. They were trying to get Mixon out in space because clearly he's just not working at all in between the tackles. But even still, that th- those package of plays are still pretty predictable. And the Jets did a great job of reading those out, especially with Quincy Williams. He had a really good game before. I think he broke his or hurt his ankle towards the end there. But at the end of the day, Joe Mixon is averaging negative .88 uh, yards o- under expectation, which is fourth worst in the league. It's bad. So it's, it, it's not yeah. it's not all bad blocking. Like, P. Ryan had the same quality of blocking that Mixon had for this game. And again, it was against the defense that knew the ball was going to be run. So P. Ryan's just making more out of his blocking. And I feel like that's always been the characteristic of P. Ryan. He's not... He's never going to be a flashy running back. He's never... He's rarely going to break off these long runs. He's rarely going to break, really, a ton of tackles but he just runs with a purpose almost compared to Mixon, and he just reads his blocks a lot quicker and a lot better. It's true, and I think just in general, this the, the Bengals' offense this year, they have consistently, you know, whether it's Burrow, whether it's Chase, whether it's Mixon, who we're talking about here, they have just consistently been looking, they've been trying to force that big play, force the big run, Force the big pass, force it, and they're and they're sometimes not making the right reads. Whether it's a couple of forced throws by Burrow in the first game that caught that that resulted in interceptions, whether you're seeing you know Mixon kind of try and be patient and find something and get hit in the backfield, or sometimes, like I said, he gets the handoff and right away there's a guy on him. So it's it's a little bit of everything. I don't think it's you know replace Mixon or you know play P Ryan a bunch more or whatever i think you need to if if your run game continues to struggle though i think you need to think about utilizing the strategy if you're the Bengals that you used at the end of this game 
earlier to try and get positive yardage in the run game and not set yourself up for these second and 12s, right? These, these third and eights. Instead, if you set yourself up for a second and six as opposed to a second and 12, if you set yourself up for a third and three instead of a third and eight, you know, because some of your early down runs have actually netted some positive gains. And then, oh, by the way, hopefully, as momentum gathers, then you bring Mixon back into the mix a little bit and he can pop off potentially a big play and and things just open up a bit more if you're getting more consistently positive yardage. I I don't know if, if what I'm saying strategically makes sense, John. I, I'm I'm kind of trying to voice what's in my mind's eye here, but I'm just saying a little bit more of a mixture of of both where you can avoid potentially some of these early down massive negative runs that have been occurring more with Mixon than they have with P Ryan. Maybe you use P Ryan, sprinkle in P Ryan a little bit more. And then all of a sudden later in the game, you keep using Mixon here and there. And some of those plays are, are more readily available later in the game than they were earlier in the game. I'm just trying to think right now, like what is Mixon doing well? Because again, the blocking is not perfect. It hasn't been perfect for his entire career but we still know for a fact that one guy has consistently over the course of his career now for three years has made more of the blocking in front of him compared to Mixon. And that's the issue when you're paying Mixon 10 times as much as the other guy. I I think a rotation, a balanced rotation between the two can work because like I, I, a rotation only works if you're not just giving the, the defense a free key as to if this running back is on the field, then it's a guaranteed run or a guaranteed pass, right? Because P. Ryan is very valuable in pass protection, and he can clearly run the ball at least at a decent rate. Mixon, at this point, his best or at least most working qualities seem to be that of a third down back, a guy who could just flare out into the backfield, make a guy miss on, on a little out route and just get into the space. Because once he is in space, like I, I do think his athleticism is best utilized out there. And that's where those missed tackles can actually happen. He can just scamper past guys because he's got the explosion. He's got the quickness that a guy like Piran's just never going to have. But in terms of just what they're doing well right now, maybe just what they do well in general, Piran is built and has the qualities more of a bell cow back than Mixon maybe ever had. And that was kind of the case at Oklahoma too, because like these guys have been partners for a decade and Piran did get a ton of carries at Oklahoma, even with Mixon on the team. Now granted Mixon was suspended for an entire year. So Piran maybe established himself more during Mixon's absence, but just in the way that they run the ball. And I think in their mental capacities, like, Piran just is just built more like the bell cow back that I think a lot of fans want Mixon to be. So that is an interesting, and I, we're going to move on to a different topic, but I'm going to pull up something here. Uh, th- that is a really, really astute and interesting point about their roles at Oklahoma because it was almost reversed to what they're doing right now. Yeah. Um, and, and Mixon still got a lot of touches, no doubt about it, but it was Piran was kind of the, the, the war course, right? He was the guy that was kind of doing a lot of the early down stuff. And then you would bring in Mixon to pop the big play. Um, and, and Mixon was kind of, you know, I, I'm not, you know, a, a backup. But, I mean, it, that's just how they kind of more used him at, at that point in time. I mean, you look here. I'm going to bring up the stats real quickly just because you brought up a great point with that. This is Samaj P. Ryan, his college stats. This is from sportsreference.com, of course, profootballreference.com, et cetera. Look at this. 2014 Oklahoma, 260, 
263 attempts, 226 attempts, 190, uh, 196 attempts. And you see there, especially that first year. And then we go, let's, let's compare that to Joe Mixon's college stats. I'm going to bring that up here. One second. Yeah. I mean, you look here, I mean, granted 2014 was not a year that Mixon was getting stats here, but I mean, it is different. Um, and it is noticeably different when you look at 200 plus rushes touching. Look at Mixon, 187, 183, right? And then he's got more in the receiving game there by about you know 10 or so receptions. But when you look at it, there's a there's a significant difference in the touches at Oklahoma there. So that speaks to what you were talking about with the with almost a little bit of a role reversal between pro and college. Now, obviously, Mixon just has more speed and has shown a propensity to make a bigger play both in college and pros than P Ryan. But uh, that that's, that's an interesting point that you bring up. I, f- I feel kind of bad because I feel like Ben Griffin is Joe Mixon's burner account. He's <laughs> really going to bat for him right now. And I, I'm not, I, I don't want to just, you know, completely drag on Mixon, but like the whole, if the whole thing is like, if the holes actually need to be there, that's, that's just not a completely common occurrence with really any offensive line. Defenses are really good at just filling gaps right now. And they like, they have very versatile schemes to make sure that like holes aren't just really as open as they should be. Or like, especially with the Bengals offensive line right now, like they're still kind of finding themselves and the holes aren't always going to be there. And the holes aren't always there for Samaj Piran. They develop as the play goes on. That's the whole point of zone blocking, right? Like you're reading from outside to in and you're waiting to see those cutback lanes open up. Yep. And then you have guys going to the second level. And those are where the openings are happening. And, you can point to many examples in this Jets game where there were holes that Mixon just plainly missed up in the middle. They didn't open up immediately, but that's not always, again, going to be the case. And the value of a running back is that vision to see where the holes are going to open up if they don't open up right at when you get the ball. So I don't know, man. Like, I, I think with just with the current state of this offensive line, like, Pirine is the guy to get the most out of it, but... I'm not saying never give Mixon the ball because there's still value with his athleticism. Right, right, yeah. I mean... Again, this isn't a call to replace the running back or anything. I think it's more what's the approach and what do you take away from that last part of the game last week in the run game? And, you know, how can you potentially implement that even if like semi-consistently or here and there? How can you implement that where these, you know, some of these neg- – these, again, it's kind of like the sacks and all that kind of stuff. These big negative plays that just derail drives when things look so promising. you got to stop – suffering those those yard losses in early downs because that's what ultimately just you know get you out of the the red zone get you out of the scoring area all of that but we all know that let's keep moving on here another topic in the state your case oh boy john you mentioned it earlier dj reader arguably i mean the most consistent player this year on the Bengals team in general um, and he was, you had mentioned he was like basically their best pass rusher before this week going in with Trey Hendrickson, um, very stout against the run can surprisingly get to the passer better than you would think. Now he's a guy as a nose tackle, doesn't play, you know, a hundred percent of the snaps every single game or whatnot, but this is a massive void that he is leaving. We don't really know, at least I don't believe exactly how much time he's going to be missing the term was indefinitely so that means an indefinite amount of time we don't know uh, i don't believe he's been placed on ir or anything like that to this point so 
I don't know. What do the Bengals do, John, here to, to <laughs> remedy the loss here? I mean, you've they picked up Jay Tufele right after final cuts. And, you know, you've got – you mentioned B.J. Hill was doing some different things this week. What do you think the Bengals do to remedy the loss, even if it's temporary with D.J. Reader this year? And can they continue to do – they can't do everything they want to do on defense without him, but can they do a lot of the things on defense that they want to do without him? It, it really is – unfortunate because the fact that you were getting that pass rushing boost from a nose tackle is insane big like big he was playing like a legitimate all pro defensive tackle and that's that's rare for a guy that lines up against the center most of the time in in truth like their their base package is like when they go out on the field like it's not always nickel right it's it's still these odd man fronts when you have reader as the head up nose and you have like these bare fronts with two three techs with like bj hill and josh tupo and they could do that with comfort and ease, knowing that Reader could just two-gap the center. Like, he could just take both A-gaps, just read wherever the ball was going, shed to that side, and make the stop. Like, this happened, I, I, could, I can think of 10 examples in three weeks off the top of my head, which is absurd. It's prime Vince Wilfork and Casey uh, Hamilton uh, numbers, or Casey Hampton numbers, excuse me. So... They they can Casey still, Hampton. Ooh, that's right? that's a that's a Bla- blast in the past. Hello, yeah, archive name. Yeah, 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 that's a good <laughs> name right there. Yeah, I think the, the the plan, if there is one, is to on those in those packages when you're going five uh, main fronts, you have BJ Hill as the nose because I, I think the I think Josh Tupo has the size to do it, but I think he he's had more success as that five tech or as a shaded those are a three technique whereas bj hill at least in his time in new york he played a lot of nose tackle he played a lot of nose tackle at nc state too coming out of college and he did some of that after reader went out now obviously he's not the same guy as reader he's not as big but he is you know comparatively physical and has similar play strength he's not going to make as many splash plays in that role but just as a guy just hold down that role for now I think that's probably the plan of attack because, again, you're more comfortable with Tupo as like a shaded three. And then you can give Zach Carter more reps at three technique. And then your guy, J2 J- J- Faley, is finally probably going to be active because you you still need bodies there. Like he's now uh, the fourth defensive tackle on the roster who's yeah. healthy. So like he'll play three technique, he'll play five technique. But now when you go in those even fronts, you still have BJ Hill as three technique. But he's, I think, going to just be on the field basically all the time. Like I'm interested to see how they rotate him in and out of the field, in and off the field, because I don't know. I feel like when he's off the field, they can't do those five-man fronts, and that makes at least things complicated when you know they're, they're in their run defense packages. Maybe they can't do them when Hill's not on the field because it, it does seem like he's the best guy to do that. I find it sadly ironic that there's a – I don't know if it was a viral clip, but there was a semi-viral – within Bengals circles a, a, a clip I can't remember if it was the against the Steelers or against the Cowboys but Reader was bent one way uh being blocked and ended up getting yeah. getting by you know and you're like how did he not sustain a knee injury in this thing and then you know he gets rolled up this week and you know out of the rolled up on this week and out of the game so it's quick it's just so quick how things can change for you there I what I worry about is just again the, the whole performance of the rest of the defensive line without a guy like that in there. I just, I, I, I don't know. I asked the question and to answer my own question, I, I asked, you know, what will the Bengals be able to do a lot of the things that they want to do on defense without him? 
And I, I don't know if they'll be able to do a lot. I think they'll be able to do some and, and a decent amount, but he's just really, really key to what this team does. And when you look at what the, when he left the team with injury in 2020, one of the bunch of injuries that they had that year, the defense just wasn't the same. And we, we, that was, you know, by the end of that year, we were wondering what the future was with Lou Anarumo and the whole thing. And, you know, then you saw him have a healthy season last year and the impact he had, the impact he had this year as well. We're talking about games, John, where, and granted it's Mitchell Trubisky, it's Cooper Rush. And then, you know, you had Joe Flacco this week. I mean, arguably three backup quarterbacks in your first three games. And we're talking about how the Bengals defense has limited points, limited, uh, you know, got off the field early and often, uh, you know, even being put in bad positions. And I worry about all of that kind of being a little bit of a house of cards without DJ Reader in the lineup. Yeah, it's, it's like, again, uh, from, like a, from a body standpoint, I think they have enough to, to to continue rolling out those packages. But like you're alluding to, how effective are they going to be? Because yeah. Reader gave them such, such a plus and such confidence to do so that you have to wonder if they're just going to roll those back a little bit. We're getting a lot of comments about Tyler Shelvin, man, like coming out of LSU, like he was supposed to be in this role, right? He was just that heads up nose tackle out of LSU. Maybe he didn't always do that at LSU, but that was the projection that he had coming out of college with development and training in the NFL. He's still in the practice squad and it, it wouldn't, I guess, shock me or, or maybe you if he does end up getting uh, called up for this game just to add more depth. But like, even if DJ wasn't playing out of his mind, that's still like a noticeable downgrade compared to where Shelvin is right now. And yeah. I, I, I don't think you can throw him out there now and it, for any amount of snaps and have any type of trust and faith that you know it, it's it's going to be shored up. Like the, the the difference there is just so stark that I think the only chance that you have is what you have on the roster. Yeah, dude, my I'm, I'm serious. My big fear with Reader, and I, again, we don't know how long he's going to be out at this point, but. Dude, my big fear. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably sounds about right, and I think also extra obviously, regardless, extra precaution this week on a short week and the whole deal. But, um, dude, I just I worry about those games against the Ravens and the Browns uh, coming up. You know, I mean, just the way they run the ball, what they like to do. You know, Lamar, the whole thing, and not having that guy in the lineup for those games, uh, it's it's critical, Uh, and so I, I worry about that. We'll see if and when he comes back and how well he he performs when he does. But uh, man, those are those are games. I'm I don't know about you, but I'm particularly circling where I'm going. When is he back? When is he back? <laughs> yeah, it's just a matter of you know it's kind of cliche, but everyone else just needs to step up and you know take their game up to another level. And I think it's good that BJ Hill. I think had his best game against the Jets. He's he's finding his form again. You you want to see progressions out of Zach Carter. You want to see continued stability out of Josh Tupo, and then you have other guys on the edge kind of rotating. Like, it's going to take a collective effort to muster up some similar impact that Reader had. Not only that, but just as a leader, man, he's a captain. I think he got a lot of guys set on the D-line, and I think a lot of guys look to him. So just having him not be out there, even if if the position that he plays doesn't hold a ton of inherent value, just the way that he was playing, it it makes such a difference. Ben Griffin slash... Ben Griffin hyphenated Mixon, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, I asked, you know, but we are back, so I think we'll be okay. Uh, we're going to do only like one or two more 
of these and state your case before we talk about the Dolphins game and get out of here. But John, that is kind of where one of the, do you believe that this game against the Jets, this win has quote unquote, the Bengals back. Uh, they, they looked like you mentioned, they looked like shades of 21. Do you believe now that they are back and we should be seeing a lot of the same performances that we saw and or better last than last year? Or as I mentioned, John, Mitch Trubisky, you lost that one. Cooper Rush, you lost that one. And you played Joe Flacco. Those are your first three quarterbacks that you faced this year and you're one and two. So, uh, again, I would love to get your take on this team. And if you felt that this get right game against the Jets actually has them right and they're set to hit another gear and get things going in the right direction now. I think it does help to know that the things that you used to be able to do well, you can still do them. I think it's important for the quarterback. It's important for the offense as a whole to formulate an opening script and get an opening touchdown. I think that did a ton for the team's just confidence. Like, and and again, like they, they learned a lot about how to win last year, specifically in the playoffs. Right. And they have that in the back of their minds, but a new year is a new year, right? They're Owen two, they're a whole and they needed to show something to themselves to say like, yeah, we can still do this. And again, it, like you said, like there's a ton of shades of 2021 out there and I know they don't care about last year. I know T Higgins has put his flag down for that statement, but I, I think it does help to know that like they can continue, they can still do like their, their old tricks. Right. And it's just about building off of that and to see it come out, end up in a win. I think it's just really critical for them to, to continue to go where they need to go. I what impressed me about this week, and I think I'm kind of saying what you said, maybe in a slightly different way, but their adaptability this week uh, impressed me. You know, their adaptability of Chase did not play all that well. He had some nice moments, but, but I mean, there were issues with Chase there. They didn't run the ball well, as we have mentioned, with one of their better better players and Joe Mixon. They didn't run the ball well, and then you lose Reader in the second quarter, and yet you're still able to win the game, find different ways to do things and play well. By the way, Chidobia Wuzier, the next-gen stats around him are just crazy. He is playing very, very well this year. Again, he has been a gem of a pickup. But, um, you know, I, I, I just like that they are still able to, you know, they weren't able to get the pass rush the first two weeks, and then they got a lot of pass rush this week, and a guy like Cam Sample stepped up this week, right? Um, so I, I like that the adaptability, that's what's showing me some growth and some progress towards the team that made the Super Bowl. that looking like the team that made the Super Bowl last year, we talked about getting Tyler Boyd, the ball and just getting, getting him in space, getting the ball out quickly, short controlled passing, getting in a rhythm. They did that. Um, and they were able to use that without chase having an a plus game to win this game and win it pretty convincingly. So I don't want to say that they, I, I think this week is the one where you say, Hey, you, you know, you beat this dolphins team. That's three and O then I think you're on the way to doing some really good things going forward here. But I think this is a, I, I wouldn't say this is they're back They're You know, you know, we're going to, you know, automatically this win against the jets that gets them there. But I, I, I like what I saw this week. I like the adaptability. I like, that some of the elements that made them a good team last year were were witnessed again this year or this got, this week. They got one hand on the wheel. They're back on track. I yeah, think. there you go. That's, that's all there it you is. Go. There you go. 
Uh, let's kind of segue, state your case, and into the preview of the Miami game with kind of one more opinion. What did you make of the Tyreek Hill comments <laughs> to Eli about Eli Apple? I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I owe you. And then on top of that, this has been a war of words now to tee this thing up because on, on top of that now, you have Tua who said, if he's one-on-one with Eli Apple, I'm getting him the ball. And then you also have the Bengals defensive backs now, Jesse Bates, Mike Hilton, and others kind of saying, hey, you come after one of us, you're coming after all of us. We're going to come to play. We don't need to really say anything else. We're just going to go play and do what we need to do. So we've got this back and forth. Ironically, not a ton of chatter from Mr. Apple himself, uh, who has been kind of, you know, not, not afraid to combat some people via social media or otherwise. So I don't know, man, kind of some spiciness to this, to this one here. And it was it wasn't even like you know Tuesday afternoon or what I mean. This happened Sunday right after the Dolphins won. It was like, oh, we just beat the Bills. I'm thinking about Eli Apple if I'm Tyreek Hill. <laughs> There's Malik Wright said this best on his show. Every player like circles what games they have in prime time when the schedule is released. Tyreek Hill knew exactly who the Bengals were, who the Dolphins were playing. This week, they, he knew that they were playing on Thursday. He knew they were playing on Amazon. It was not a surprise when he asked, who are you playing? Oh, the Bengals? Oh, yeah. Something clicked in his brain. Oh, I better make up some, some BS Eli Apple statement here. I owe you, boy. What what, what do you owe me? You owe him a debt? Did, did, did he pay you in the offseason or, or whatever? Like, are you, try, are, you try, are you allowing him to collect? Like, like what, what's going on here? It, it, it was a farce. <laughs> It looked like it, it, an attempt to be Chad or just didn't go out there. And it really it, did. It, it didn't fool anyone. Like, every, everyone saw it for what it was, right? Tyreek Hill is a phenomenal receiver, but it looked fake. And I, I think Apple not saying anything, one, looks good for him. But two, I think whatever he wants to say, he's just going to save it for saying it on the field because he's not uh, shy to talk trash on the field. He is not shy to talk trash on the field. That is, that is true. And I got to tell you, if the Bengals are somehow and Apple somehow is to be able to clamp down on Tyreek Hill in this game. You better believe that after that uh, and on the field that that, that will be heard. Uh, that will be seen and heard about the performances there. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's just to hype up the contest and whatnot. And like you said, it did feel kind of a little bit uh, old school WWF where you're, you know, you're, you're riling up the opponent and uh, you know, the whole deal. And I, I, I kind of felt that a little bit but at the same time it was just very surprising that it was just clear out of out of the blue in a post-game conference and press conference in which they just beat the bills at any rate i i you know i don't i don't think i'm sitting here saying um you know tyreek hill's phenomenal i don't i'm not sitting here saying oh i'm definitely afraid of this but there is a, a potential mismatch there i suppose that the dolphins could exploit if they are able to do so well there's no and that's the other thing like i think Tua is smart enough to know that eli apple will never be on an island against tyree kill he wasn't in either of the chiefs games last year like the Bengals played primarily just too high and that's what they're gonna have to do against the dolphins because that's the dolphins have been using both hill and jalen waddle in the slot a decent amount just 
because they know that those safeties are going to be bracketed against them and they're setting up these routes to the outside and then coming back to the inside. That's that's exactly how Waddle uh, had a big play against the Bills because he, he just stemmed a corner route to, towards the outside and then just cut back in for a post. Like, it's going to be on the safeties more than Chidabe Wuzier or yeah. Eli Apple in this game to just put the lid on this offense because the Dolphins just stretch the def- stretch defenses like basically no other team is doing right now in the NFL because they have that game-breaking speed. And Tyree Kill is Tyree Kill, but I think it's been Jalen Waddle who's been looked at more in terms of just being like the first read in the offense. I don't, I don't know exactly what the target split is between the two of them, but they have pretty similar production right now. I think they have a, a combined 650 receiving yards through three weeks, which is just bonkers. But when you have a quarterback that is accurate down the field now, and I guess that's what Tua is now, and you have that game-breaking speed and you're going up against you know backup safeties in the Bills, that definitely helps. But you know the Bengals are definitely not going to go into single high and leave either cornerback on an island against either of these guys. And again, they move them all around the formation on the offense, so like they're going to see them everywhere. What a great segue from one of the earlier Super Chats here from the always generous Mr. Whisper. Always generous, and that is going to go to the Pollock Family Foundation. So thank you, Mr. Whisper. You may be, are we, I, I mean, we're not playing favorites, but on some of these giveaways we've got going, you may be in the lead based on all of these Super Chats that you keep giving us here. GiveSendGo.com slash Pollock Family Foundation, of course, a nonprofit started by David Pollock and his family to help other families in the greater Atlanta, greater Georgia area. And they are looking to branch out nationwide to do a lot of different projects, a lot of different things in the community. Uh, so please, please, please go support them. Give slash Pollock family foundation. You can leave us a super chat in the YouTube that we will be donating directly to them. And if you hadn't had the chance, we had the great David Pollock on our show handful of weeks back go check out that uh interview and hear more about what he is doing but the question here from mr whisper hey guys do you think we will see more dax hill in this game you got some reps last game finally and it couldn't hurt to have that four three speed in the secondary with cheetah being tyree kill and waddle out there kind of playing into what you were just talking about there john and the lack of potentially seeing a lot of eli apple on one-on-one with tyree kill um do you do you feel that this is a Dax Hill get a, getting a lot of snaps type of game because of the personnel that the Dolphins will be out there and the fact that he had some snaps last game? I, I'm, I'm inclined to think, I don't mean, I don't know if it's going to be a boatload, but I'm inclined to think it's going to be probably his heaviest load of the year to this point. I agree. I agree. And I think in the, I don't know, 13, 16 snaps that he's had this season, most of them have been at free safety or just a, a deep safety alignment. It's either been that or him blitzing off the edge. So they are still grooming him to just be like a, a half-field safety at this point. And I think that would help them more than Von Bell in that role. I think everyone at this point knows that Bell is more valuable closer to the line of scrimmage. It's where he makes the majority of his positive plays. And when you're going to have a def- when you're going to have an offense out there that's going to stretch you out vertically and you need two safeties to cover a lot of ground... I think it makes sense to have Von Bell basically be a linebacker in this game, especially because Jermaine Pratt, who I think is questionable with, with a knee injury, like his health is in question. You need depth at linebacker. You might just need him to play a lot closer to the line or just more frequently at the line because, you know, you don't really know what you have at linebacker aside from Akeem Davis-Gaither next to Logan Wilson. So just to have essentially like a big nickel look out there with one linebacker and three safeties and have Dax Hill 
basically lead back through Jesse Bates. I think it makes a lot of sense. But of course, even if Dax Hill is, is fast as fast as hell, right, and he can match up at least from a speed perspective with both those guys, it will be his first time in in an expanded and extended role out there for the first time in his career. And he's gonna have to be very disciplined in his coverage because again, it takes one l- little subtle fake from either of those guys and he's sent the wrong way and then Hill and Waddle are stretched or are wide open down the field and it's an easy throw for an even an injured to a tongue of Iloa. So I, it really, for me, it depends on how much they trust Dax Hill at this point. They've only played him at most six snaps in the game, but his skill set definitely fits better to what the Bengals probably need. And if not, they're just going to have to have Von Bell have a masterclass game as a deep safety. Well, uh, you know, there's there's definitely a lot to for the Bengals defense and Lou Anarumo to to navigate in this game, weapon wise and whatnot. And then obviously you've got Mike McDaniel, who has is a disciple of the Kyle Shanahan system. He likes versatile running backs that can do some things in the passing game, and then obviously you know be be active in the run game. There's a little bit of a by committee approach in the run game for the Dolphins this year, and then of course setting things up to go downfield. Uh, you know, hands full for Lou Anarumo. And we, you know, I mean, we've seen the Bengals play the 49ers, albeit it was very early in the rebuild process, but that was kind of a disaster uh, a while ago when that, when that took place. So hopefully we're not, you know, we're not going to witness something like that here, but John, this game, I think when I was doing a, a going back and forth with, um, Kevin over at the Finsider, the SB nation, Miami dolphin site, there's talk of, you know, Hey, um, this game is only set at 47, you know, the, the over under for total points is I, I think at 47 right now. Um, you know, I don't know if it's because of the two injury and then the Bengals, you know, didn't score a ton of points in the first two weeks, a lot of different factors here. And then of course it being a short week, sometimes play gets a little sloppier and points are just a little bit more at a premium on a shorter week. Still, does that surprise? I mean, it's surprising to me when you're talking about 47 points as the over-under when you've got it one team with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Mike Gesicki, and then on the other team, a team you've got T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Burrow. I mean, I, it's just it's surprising to me. I don't know. Total side note, and I'm not talking about gambling per se, but just where the total points over-under is, that, that was surprising to me. Yeah, and I think naturally I'm inclined to think that offenses like or excuse me, defenses typically perform well on Thursday night, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you just have offenses taking advantage of bad defenses. I think in this case it's a combination of not knowing what Tua you're going to get because he's clearly not 100% and he might not even play in this game. So if if you have Teddy Bridgewater out there, I love Teddy, but he's not the the the, the deep ball passer to take advantage of those weapons. And then you I think you still have not a mistrust, but you're still waiting to see more from the Bengals' offense in a, in a complete game. Granted, the Miami defense is not very good. They've allowed, I think, three, 400-yard passers so far this season, and it shouldn't be that hard for the Bengals' offense to continue what they were getting started last week against the Jets, but it's more of like, I think, a, a, a need-to-see-it-to-believe-it type situation. And, of course, again, Thursday, I think, throws a wrench into all sorts of predictability factors. I think Anthony, in this we, we talked about DJ Reader and how that impacts the Bengals' rush defense. I think that's going a little on, under the radar with this game specifically because you mentioned that 49ers game a few years ago. Like, they gashed the Bengals on the ground. And that was Mike McDaniel's uh, scheme because he was a part of the 49ers staff at that point. They're yep. a top-ten team in rushing the football in terms of EPA per play right now. Like, he brought that scheme over 
to this Dolphins offense and somehow merged both uh, a, a spread passing attack with that 49ers rushing attack into one offense. And I think that's kind of going under the radar. Like, we don't know what this Bengals run defense is going to look like. And that may just be the way that Miami finds the most success. They don't maybe need, need to, you know, take the top off the Bengals defense if they can gash them for four, five, six yards per carry. So it's going to be a an unknown variable for me how well the Bengals defense stacks up against this Dolphins rushing attack. I will say, though, the one thing that is in the Bengals' favor, Dolphins, Dolphins offensive line is very... It's a lot of mixed results. Liam Eikenberg at left guard. We talked a little bit about him leading up to last year's draft as like as a tackle prospect. He might be the worst left guard in the league right now. I think their right tackle, uh, Greg Little, he's not doing well either. Uh, Taron Armstead, he's dealing with an injury. He's probably going to play, but he might not be 100%, kind of like what Lel Collins is going with right now or working with right now. So their offensive line is a mixed bag. And I think if the game did not have DJ Reader, Going up against this interior and just, just this offensive line in general, it, it might go well for them. But they can still get creative because Mike McDaniel is pretty smart. Uh, quick update here on the – and this has to obviously do it to a potentially being questionable. This was the injury report on Cincy Jungle. I will pin this in the live chat for folks as well via Jason Markham, so you can check that out. Uh you can see here a lot of questionable, as is the case with Thursday night games, including uh, on the on the Bengals side of things, you've got Leal Collins, who did not practice Monday or Tuesday, but full practice Wednesday. That is a good sign. Um, obviously, we talked about reader sample. We know about the knee issue. Eli Apple, um, limited in full. Uh, Higgins, limited in full the, the past two days. So you've got a lot of full practices here. And then Pratt was also a full practice we saw our buddy, I think it was Andrew Seiler in the live chats asking about Pratt. My guess is if you're getting a full practice on Wednesday, John, you're probably, even though you're questionable, that's a pretty good sign um, that you're that you're going to play if you're going full on a short week. So there's that. And then you mentioned Taron Armstead, who did not practice all week, who is questionable. Xavier Howard, the very talented corner. Uh, you know, a lot, look at all the injuries here, John, um, on their side of the their side of the ball there. Uh, and then, of course, you've got um, all kinds of different situations going on with with the Miami Dolphins on the injury front. But I I don't know about you, but I, I think you know you're you're practicing in full on you know the day before. I I, I think you're pretty good to go, um, even though a short week. That would be my personal opinion and experience in in watching this kind of stuff. This just further like. I just don't like Thursday games, man. There's just too much unknowns. There's, there's just there's too much gray areas, and injuries yeah. always seem to happen, man. I don't want to curse on you. No, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it. Don't even put it in the universe. All right, not, let's not, talk not, about not in the universe. Let's let's uh, <laughs> let's get to keys and and predictions and get on out of here. Socks, another very generous YouTube donor, and that's going to go to the Pollock Family Foundation as well. Thank you, Socks. Kind of talking about the role reversal between Pirine and Mixon as a possible you know key to kind of get the run game out of its funk so to speak that may be one key you talked about the safeties give me one other player on offense or defense that you are thinking of for the Cincinnati Bengals that you say you know what this is probably a player whether it's a starter or rotation whoever just one other player that we haven't maybe talked about so much that you're saying hey this is this is the guy this week this is uh, I don't know what Jonah Williams is at this point because the first two games were ugly 
And then against the Jets, he was arguably their best guy going up against whoever they have at edge. I think he played against Carl Lawson a decent amount. Now he's got Melvin Ingram, I believe, coming off that edge from from Miami. And I don't know, man. Like I feel like they they still need, like they obviously need him to play well. And I feel like it makes such a difference when he doesn't play well. I feel like at this point, Lael is just going to continue fighting through this back injury, and it could just be complete unknowns at this point. It could be some good weeks, could, could be some bad weeks, but it doesn't seem like he's entirely comfortable at all with what he's got going on. But he still wants to play through it, so good for him. He wants to get those per game roster bonuses they need just a more consistent Jonah Williams and I think it was promising to see him be more consistent against the Jets and they they're going to continue to need him against the Dolphins because Melvin Ingram had success against the Bengals last year when he was when he was with the Chiefs so they have some tape on him so so hopefully Jonah's prepared Melvin Ingram has been a thorn in the Bengals side for years yeah um I mean remember the playoff game against the Chargers when he was with them he was the guy who kind of tipped one of those passes and was the guy that infamously said that the Bengals didn't do anything on offense that they didn't do just a few weeks before and the whole deal. So he has been a pain in the butt for a while for the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to go with with what Robert Obrecht said here. I'm going to say Logan Wilson. Wilson had a nice pick last week, and you know he had his hands on a couple of other passes in in previous weeks that you felt like maybe he could, you know, man, if he just hung on to those, that could have changed some things. Um, and then, you know, again, with the, the, the things that the Dolphins ask of their running backs, you know, being able to kind of play a, a bit rangy for Logan Wilson is a big thing. And then, of course, you know, yards after the catch kind of stuff when you're playing a quarterback like Tua, you know, I, I think a guy we talk about the secondary with the wide receivers and all of that, a guy like Logan Wilson um, kind of gets lost in the shuffle when we talk about some of these things. And, and you know, he may be in and out depending on packages and whatnot, but he's a guy I think that is just going to be a, a quiet key to this game, especially when you've got a guy like DJ Reader out to help out in the run game. I don't know. I, I know it's the next level, but a guy that I think is going to be a key player to to this game. How about the interception, man? Like that was uh, many it's people pretty sweet, but like that was vintage Brian Urlacher. That's exactly yeah. what he was tasked to do in Chicago. But just, just to have that range in your back pocket as as a linebacker, and then Anthony, he, does he have the best ball skills on this defense? Because it, it seems like whenever there's an interception coming his way, he makes the most of it. Man, yeah, he's <laughs> he's had more interceptions in the than the defensive backs. Really, yeah. I mean, right? I mean, the last couple of seasons, good lord, he's. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, Awuzie is playing. Really, Awuzie yeah. is is a guy that just you know he's not going to light you up in the in the you know the the gambling big pick corner type of guy, but he just allows a low pass rating, low completion percentage, low amount of yards his way, and he just borderline you know just borderline shut down corner. He's just been a really good pickup for this team, and hopefully I didn't jinx him with this big matchup this week. <laughs> and speaking of that, what is your prediction, John Sharon? Look in your crystal ball and tell me. What you think is going to happen? Special week for the Bengals. Congratulations to Willie Anderson and Isaac Curtis being installed into the Bengals Ring of Honor. A uh, lot of stuff going on this week and for this game. The white Bengal uniforms and the white Bengal helmets. I don't know. Is it all enough for the Bengals to channel a win, be it an ugly one or a very pretty one? It does seem like a lot of things are lining up, man. You have a 3-0 team coming off of a divisional slugfest, a very emotional win. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit there, but a hard-fought victory that clearly gassed out a lot of players for the Dolphins. So there's that factor coming on a short week. If the Bengals kind of feeling themselves a little bit now that they have the confidence of you know learning how to win again, 
and the offense getting back at least on track to where they were last year. I don't know, man. It seems hard to imagine they're going to lay an egg in those uniforms, too. It just seems like, you know, the vibe is just going to be really nice, man. Like, you have the Ring of Honor. You have a sold-out stadium that looks white and black and white for the first time ever. Like, this is the first time they've ever painted the same different colors, man. They're going to look good. It kind of does feel like it's going to go right for them. So, I'm going to go Dolphins 24, Bengals 20. Okay. Okay. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Uh, I, you know, last year, Thursday night, it's very similar. Week four, Thursday night football game. I think a lot of people thought, hey, this was going to be a walk in the park and the Jags are coming to town. They're they're rebuilding and all of this kind of stuff. And that game was a big wake up call and a, really kind of a, one of the many turning points of the Bengals season. And they barely squeaked one out against that team. And, you know, that kind of taught him a little bit i this one i i I think the Bengals. i don't know if they win handily but i i'm i've got confidence in in them in this one i think there are a lot of things that game last year they may have taken that opponent too lightly and then you know you've got the short week stuff and all of that i'm gonna say the Bengals win 27 23 Bengals win in their in their white helmets, white uniforms, and white out stadium. And if you are there, be sure to wear the Bengals white. Apparently, the pro shop has just been selling out of all kinds of stuff, uh, the white Bengals stuff. So very cool, and it'll be pretty cool to see on Prime Video this Thursday night. So let's drop the mic and get out of here, John. What you got for us, buddy? A white out after Labor Day, man. That just seems sacrilegious, right? Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> Where's the fashion police, dude? <laughs> But yeah, um, not not much for me this week. Uh, if you're in Florida, please stay safe for us. If you're watching yeah. Mike Holbrook and everyone down there, please careful, evacuate if you can. And you know, I'm, I mean, you guys have more experience of dealing with hurricanes, so don't don't take it from me. But we're thinking about you. And uh, also, yeah, screw you, Brett Favre. I feel like we haven't said that yet. So yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I. It sounds like this is going to be a, a really cool thing in Cincinnati this week. A lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of good honoring of past legends and and all kinds of different things, new uniforms. And then I think I saw that they had completed the A practice bubble, the practice bubble yeah. as well. So all of that's pretty cool as well. So just a big week for the Bengals, a big week for the city. So, you know, I know uh, – you know, there's there's a lot of things to do and a lot of things to do in Cincinnati, but this is kind of a cool week, a cool rally cry um, for the for the team, and hopefully the team responds with a win and and kind of makes things extra exciting based on the Ring of Honor stuff, the new uniforms and everything. I hope that that's all coming together for a big Bengals win. Uh, that's going to do it for us, though. On the Orange and Black Insider, you can get this show on your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, along with the other great shows on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. You can get all of our stuff on our YouTube channel. you got to subscribe at the link down beneath John in that SB Nation Cincy Jungle logo. Click that link. Click subscribe. Click the bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available. Like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page and keep it too cincyjungle.com for all of your news opinions analysis etc and we will be back with more stuff this week a lot more john appreciate you my friend and we'll we'll talk again soon see you guys